Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website, click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Um, I was told there's a game at 1 o'clock today for football fans, and I was told to wrap it up quick. And I said, man, this is the wrong week to ask for that because we're walking through the model prayer. Man, this is going to be really tough, so we'll see if we can get it, to get it done or not. But man, I'm, I'm excited to kind of just walk through this prayer. Uh, three or four years ago, uh, I was leading a men's group, and we spent close to seven weeks just walking through uh, each week a line of the prayer. And so there's a lot of content in this. Uh, But before we get into the Lord's Prayer where we're at in Matthew chapter 6, I want to kind of give some context for you, right? Um, We're kind of breaking up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in a couple verses at a time, bite-sized chunks. Uh, And so sometimes we can miss the context, right? The bigger picture of things that are happening as Jesus is preaching this message. And so going back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus lays out his theme, if you will, what he's trying to contrast. Uh, And and this is the big picture is this idea of righteousness. And he's contrasting and comparing and contrasting uh, what religious leaders, what the, the supposed righteous people were saying is righteous by man's ideology versus what God's word is, in fact, teaching as righteous. Right? And so he's going through and he's walking through this. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says these very words. I did not, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? And so he's walking through this aspect of the law. The law was the very definition of righteousness. Unfortunately, the religious leaders had corrupted the law. They were teaching their own ideas, their own man-made interpretation of the law, and they were missing the very truths that were in the law itself. And Jesus is walking us through this understanding, really what the, the intent of the law is, is to get to the heart of the matter, really right down to the core. It's not about how we present ourselves on the outside, but it really is all about what's on the inside. So Jesus, of course, in Matthew 5, he continues and he compares and contrasts the teachings of the Pharisees versus what the scripture actually is intended to show us, the condition of our heart. In the last couple weeks, we've been walking through prayer. Why do I bring up the law? What is the big picture of this? Well, if you go further into Matthew, I think it's in Matthew 22, Matthew 22 verses 23, there is a lawyer a lawyer asks Jesus a very, a very important question pertaining to the law. 
He goes, he goes, Jesus, what is the most important law in all of the commandments? He's a lawyer. He's a student of the Old Testament law. And Jesus lays out very clearly, and if you've been to church, you have heard this. The first and most important law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm just quoting off my mind, so it may not be word for word. But the idea is this, that Jesus is, is telling him these are the most important aspects of the law. And he, he, he continues and he says, on these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. And so he's, he's telling us to understand, hey, these are the key pivotal things you have to understand about the law. The law is teaching us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. Now, why is this important as we walk through our understanding of prayer? Well, Jesus, I believe, through the model prayer, is absolutely tying back this concept of loving God and loving our neighbor into our prayer life. And we're, I mean, you may have never connected these two thoughts, like the Lord's Prayer and these two commandments and how they tie in. And as we walk through the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, or the model prayer, we're going to see Jesus pointing us to how, in fact, through our prayer, we can, we can show God that we love him. We can, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We can example our love for God in and through our prayer. And so when we walk through this passage that we're going to read, we're going to read uh, from verse 9 all the way through verse 13. Today, we're primarily going to focus on 9 and 10. And that's really to help us understand what Jesus' big picture, there's a lot of depth in each one of the lines of the Lord's Prayer, but big picture, this is showing us how through our prayer, we can, uh, we can express, I guess you could say, we can express our love to God through our prayer. We can also express our love for one another through our prayer. And we're going to see how Jesus kind of walks us through that. So let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Jesus says these words. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or your name. I'm quoting off of the King James Version. I grew up learning it from that passage. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many of you that have been in church are probably very familiar with this passage. You may have prayed it or recited it as a, a, maybe even in your congregations that you would have commonly recited this as maybe uh, a part of your gatherings that you have attended. What's really important to understand as we're going to walk through this is Jesus is not telling us to just recite it. He says, pray like this. That word like is key. It's not saying pray exactly in this manner. He's saying pray like this. And what he's trying to teach us are some concepts within the Lord's Prayer, within the model prayer, that will help us express our gratitude, our adoration, our devotion, our worship to God through prayer. And so we're going to look at the first two verses of this model prayer, and we'll look at the latter part of these, this prayer next week. 
But before we go in, let's just begin with the word of prayer, get our hearts focused on the Spirit being present with us as we walk through these passages. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you just so grateful for what you have given us here in this country, this time that we get to gather, that we get to worship you, and we get to sing praises of you. Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would be present with us this morning. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would guide me and lead me in walking through your sermon. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we look at this, Jesus is teaching us about prayer. Last week we looked at uh, the, the idea of empty phrases, recognizing that we have a God that, that, is, that hears us versus a God that didn't. We looked at an example in the Old Testament, right? And we're, we're heaping up empty phrases. The reason we don't have empty phrases in our prayer is because we have a God who hears us. We're talking to someone that legitimately hears and sees us. And as Jesus starts to teach us, hey, when you pray, pray like this, one of the first things he does is he points us to the intimate relationship we have in the Heavenly Father. He says, our Father in Heaven. This is very fundamentally key in understanding our prayer life and our love to our God. He's our Father. Now, some of you, when you hear that, may struggle. Some of you hear that phrase, understanding that our God is like a father, may struggle because maybe, just maybe, your earthly father was not a great example of a loving, caring person. You may have had bad relations with your earthly father. And so when you tried to connect the idea of God being our father, unfortunately the, the earthly image of your earthly father intervenes and kind of creates this hurdle for you to try to connect with God as a father because you have this earthly image of a, an earthly dad that may not have, quite frankly, been there. Could have been neglect, could have been abuse in some degree, whether that was physical or verbal. And so when you try to think of God as a father, you often may have a hurdle to overcome. But really what Jesus is teaching us when we start in this phrase, our father who is in heaven, he's trying to help us understand that we get to have a very intimate and a very personal relationship with God. And he, unlike maybe a earthly father who wasn't very good, is good, right? So our heavenly father is good. And, and the hope and the encouragement is this, that regardless of what your earthly father experience was, I'm not hoping that everybody in here had a bad earthly father experience, right? But some of you may have. It's to recognize that God is, Jesus is teaching us that we, in fact, do have a heavenly father. And he, like a good father, cares about us. He desires to be in our life. He desires to, to talk to us and hear from us. And he also desires to know that we love him, our father who art in heaven. And then Jesus walks through and he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This is really important to, to think about what Jesus is pointing us to. First of all, he's pointing us to the intimate relationship we have in God as a father. And then he goes through and he's starting to teach us the, the names of God, how holy his names are. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied the names of God in Scripture. There are many different names of God that you can look up. You could Google this. Just Google uh, God's names and the, the meanings of those names, and you'll find a list of names that comes up. 
And there are many different names of God. I'm going to share with you just a few. In fact, three to be specific. The first name that I want to share with you, the, the name that, these are names that I really actually like a lot. They are names when I think of the names of God that I often reflect on. The first one is El, I'm going to say it in Hebrew, but I'll give you the English meaning of it. El Roy, El Roy, I think is how it's pronounced. And it means God's, the God that sees. Or more specifically, you could even go, the God that sees me. This is a name of God. And what's really, we talked about this a little bit last week when we concluded our message on empty phrases and what, when we pray to God knowing that he knows what we need. We talked about the fact that God knows everything about our life. But when Jesus is walking through the Lord's Prayer and we look at this aspect of how we adore, how we devote ourselves in our prayer to God, recognizing his names, his holy name, the fact that he sees me, he sees you. That means he sees the good and he sees the bad. He sees the public version of me and he also sees the private version of me. This is profound to really wrap our minds around. When we consider the fact that God sees every single aspect of us. And, and when this name is given, it's given in Genesis, I think it's Genesis uh, 16. It has to do with the woman who is in desperate need. She's in a desert with her child and she is pleading and calling out to God. And in her desperation, God provides for her and promises her and her son an important promise. And here, this woman, she, she calls God, this God who sees me. Taking time to consider the fact that God sees you. He sees you in your hurt. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your joy, in your excitement, in your, 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 your anticipation of the things to come. He also sees you in your anxiety, in your depression. Man, this is, this is some awesome name of God to consider as we look at this and as we wrap our minds around what Jesus is pointing us to in our adoration, our devotion, and our worship of God. He's a God that sees. And we see this when we consider his holy name. Another name that I, I like to, to remind myself is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. This passage is found in Exodus 15, verse 26. You don't have to turn there. But in this passage, the Israelites are wandering in the, in the wilderness. And they are needing something to drink and the the only water that's around them is really bitter and through a miracle the lord turns the bitter water to sweet water and as we consider the name of god his holy name jehovah jehovah jireh jehovah rapha jehovah jireh is the next one jehovah rapha the god who heals man let's take some time and think about that for a minute he has the ability to heal our brokenness. He has the ability to heal our hurts and our pains, the parts in us that aren't good, the parts in us that we might say are bitter. Going back to the other name, he sees us. He sees us when we're ugly. He sees us when we have shame. He sees us when we're broken. Here he is the God that heals. 
He has the ability to heal. These names were attributed to him, not because they were just fun names to call God, but they had an actual character trait of God that showed up when they needed it. God is the God who has the ability to heal. He has the ability to heal our relationships. He has the ability to heal our conflicts in our marriage. He has the ability to heal the conflicts we have between parents and children. He is the God who heals. And when we consider his name, as we go to him in prayer, understanding that he isn't saying, hey, listen, just come to me when you have it all put together. He's saying, hey, I see when you're broken, and I want you to come to me because I'm the one that can heal. It's profound to think about the holy name of God and what it means as Jesus is walking us through here. In this one line alone, I could spend, I could spend two messages probably just preaching on the names of God alone. What that means, his holy name. The last name that I see Jesus, that, that I just kind of like, is Jehovah Jireh. The God who provides. The God who provides. This name for, for God was given uh, in Genesis twenty two fourteen. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was told by God to go take up Isaac with him to do a sacrifice. Now, if you're familiar with this story, it sounds absurd and insane, but Abraham was about to sacrifice his very own son, Isaac. This is a picture, this is a picture to help us understand the father and the son's relationship, that is God the father and the son, Jesus Christ's relationship. And as Abraham is about to execute this sacrifice against Isaac, there is a ram that is found in the bushes. And the Lord, this is substitutionary atonement at its finest. The Lord provided a substitution, this ram, which was a picture of the coming Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel message. And it is in this point that Abraham calls God the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh. His holy name. And when we start to think think through the names of God, what he's done for us, what he sees in us, the fact that we're broken, and he still offers this healing power of the gospel, and he provides an answer for our sins, his own son, we start to recognize when we say, hey, holy, hallowed, holy is your name. God provided for us an answer. He provided for us a healing method for our brokenness. And that was through his son, Jesus, on the cross. This story, as you continue and you read it and you understand it, and as you start to really walk through these, these names, the question that we have to come through as we examine these things that Jesus is walking through in comparison with our prayer life, do we actually love, do we love the conversation with our Father? Do, do we love his holy name and what it means? And how it applies to us, this aspect of forgiveness, the gospel, who Jesus is. Do we love it? Do we show this adoration, this devotion to God in and through our prayers? The next thing we see Jesus pointing us to, he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do we, do we in fact love his powerful kingdom? As I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but 
be drawn to Psalms 145. Psalms 145, I would encourage you to read the whole Psalms. We're only going to read a few short verses from it, but the whole Psalms is a wonderful, wonderful Psalm and a praise of who God is. We're going to begin in verse 9 of Psalms 145, and it says this, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and is kind in all his works. Jump down with me to verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and is kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. That calling on him is the same idea of praying to him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. This is speaking of the kingdom of heaven, and really it's the whole psalm is about the amazing God that we serve the amazing Father that we have. And as we walk through this passage in our own minds, we have to ask the question, do I really love the kingdom of God and do I actually desire it to come as, as Jesus is asking us to model for us in our prayer? Do we actually say, hey God, I can't wait till your kingdom comes? Or are we kind of walking between two kingdoms? See, in Scripture, there's two basic kingdoms that are talked about. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light is clearly the kingdom of God. It is Christ's kingdom. It is God's kingdom. And the conversations we have to go through before we even walk through prayer, understanding our love and devotion to God, do we actually want God's kingdom to come or are we setting foot in both? Do I have one foot in the kingdom of darkness and one foot in the kingdom of light and you're kind of torn between the two? Man, if the kingdom of light comes, then all of my things that I do in the kingdom of darkness will be exposed. That's tough. It's uncomfortable. Going back to, going back to God as our Father, one of the things he teaches in Hebrews chapter 12 is the fact that our Father gives us discipline. A good discipline. Do we love the discipline of our fathers? If I can just read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 14, he says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respect them shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for the for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's like really obvious statement. No one likes to go through discipline, right? Like it's not fun. No one sits there and says, hey, sign me up for some discipline. I got it. No one says that. Here, as this passage in Hebrews is teaching us, this aspect of going through discipline is hard. It's uncomfortable. It feels really awkward, maybe even. But what the promise is, is after you go through the discipline of the Father, after you go through the discipline of the Lord, it's for our good. It's to help us to become more holy. Listen to what it says. But later, after you go through the discipline, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, when we walk through the kingdom of heaven and understand that this kingdom is all-powerful and almighty and it belongs to God the Father and he submits it to his son to rule and reign in it, do we actually go in our minds when we confront God and we're in God's presence and say, man, I cannot wait for your kingdom to come, Lord. Or do we kind of reserve a little bit, say, well, you can come in those matters, but man, let's not deal with these issues. The discipline of the Father. See, Jesus is pointing us to this awesome relationship we have the privilege of going to our Father. And our Father will come to us. His name is holy. We define it as he sees us. Every, he sees every part of us. He desires to heal us. He desires to provide for us. Part of that is recognizing we desire his kingdom to be the one that we reflect, that we are part of. And we say, yes, I want your kingdom dealing with the things that are not part of his kingdom. So you look at this passage and you continue. The questions that I have to ask myself as I was walking through this is, do I actually love the kingdom of God? Are we battling submission between our own kingdom versus the kingdom of God? What kingdom are you hanging on to? Are you desiring God's kingdom to rule and reign in your life? Or do you have your own kingdom you're building and trying to establish? Do we see the glory of his might in our lives? Speaking of God's kingdom, it's all-powerful, it's almighty. Do we actually go to the Lord as a king, as the one who has this kingdom, and say, God, you have complete rule. You have all power. You have all might. And in our prayer life, do we actually go to him as one that actually has the power? Or are we kind of doing a genie wish model? Lord, I really hope you can make this happen. We have to come to grips with the fact that he is, in fact, the ruler of the kingdom. Do we talk about the kingdom of heaven in all of its splendor? Do we seek it? Do we desire it in our life? Or do we tell God how to run things? Tell him which rules we should keep and which rules we should get rid of. And I've been guilty of that. Lord, those rules are really awesome. I like those. I can do those rules. But the ones that I can't do, man, I don't, I mean, you should get rid of those. Those aren't, those aren't so great. We can relate to this. This is real. When we recognize that God, in fact, is the ruler of his heavenly kingdom, and his son is the king in which he sat on the throne, when we go to the Lord and we pray and we are showing our worship, our adoration, and our devotion to him, and our prayer, when we show and express our love to him, do we actually desire his kingdom to rule in our life? 
as Jesus continues, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, this is probably one of the hardest things for Christians to really walk through. Desiring the will of God to be done in your life. If you're familiar and you've been a part of church for any time, you most likely heard the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is agonizing over what he's about to walk through in the cross. And his prayer is recorded for us. You can go to Luke and you can read it. Luke, I believe it's Luke 22. It's recorded in many different Gospels. But what Jesus himself does as he's agonizing over what he's about to walk through, I mean, it's, this is not just like, man, this is really uncomfortable for me to talk about. This is Jesus genuinely walking through turmoil physically. In fact, the, 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 the scripture records that his, his sweat was that of blood, which means his blood vessels burst. His physical body was in so much agony over what he was about to walk through that it physically caused his body pain. And Jesus' very words in those moments was, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, and I want you to understand what he's saying, if there's any other way to heal a broken people, if there's any other way to provide for a people that can't save themselves, if there's any other way, Lord, please. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus exampled this very aspect of what he's teaching us in the model prayer. Man, as believers, when we approach God and we are in his presence and we are having our pleas and our conversations and our dialogue and we're showing him our adoration and our devotion and our worship to him, do we as Christians literally and actually say, Lord, it's not my will, but Lord, I want your will in my life. I desire your will in my life. Ultimately, what that means is, do I trust God enough to give him my life? And whatever the Lord chooses to do with my life, I know that it's for my good. I could lose all my finances and it would still be for good. Paul talks about this in his letters. Whether I have riches or whether I'm poor. Whether I have food or I don't have food. I think it's in Philippians he talks about this. Man, when we, when we think about our prayer, and as we walk through this model prayer, to pray like this, remembering he's our father, he has a holy name. He has a mighty kingdom. And he has a majestic will for each and every one of our life. And I have a ton of scriptures here that I can walk you through where the scripture actually teaches us what his will is. You know, when you're in high school or you're a young adult, oftentimes this is a very common question. Man, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. What should I do? Maybe this is a question even as adults we wrestle with. Lord, I just want to do what your will is for my life. Guess what? The scripture is inundated with passages that tell us exactly, exactly what the will of God is. Let me just read a few for you. I'm going to begin in John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The promise of the gospel. That is the will of the Father. 
Romans 12, 2, Paul speaks of this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is speaking there this aspect that we requires us to discern and know what God's will is for our life. 1 Thessalonians 4, just verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? What is that? That's a church term. We in the church use it often. Sanctification is the progress, the process, if you will, of becoming more and more like Christ, reflecting his character and his behavior. Guess what? The scripture tells us very clearly. This is the will of God that we would be sanctified, that we would walk in this process to become and reflect his character and his behavior in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is a direct correlation again to the kingdom of heaven. May God's kingdom come. We're servants to his kingdom. And we desire his will to be done in our life. And there's so many more scriptures in, in the Bible that talk about the will of God. And so when we approach God, as Jesus is teaching us, hey, pray like this. One of the most key things that's the most difficult is for us to submit and ask God's will to be done in our life instead of our own will. Trust me, I struggle with this just like everybody else. Do I go to the Father and say, Lord, man, I've got all of these plans. Lord, make them happen. I'm coming to you. Lord, these are my plans. I've laid them out here. Run with them, Lord. These are great plans. I've got them figured out. And then... When the Lord says, no, I think you should deviate and go this way. Oh, no, Lord. Man, did you think through that plan? I'm just being real. No, Lord, that's that's way more more complicated. That's that's too hard. This is the the better path, Lord. Get on board with what I've got. I appreciate your ideas. They're great, but this is the way I got this figured out. That's often how we approach the Father. We tell him our agenda. We tell him our plans. We tell him our will. And very rarely, very rarely do we actually go and say, Lord, I don't really know the best route. I don't know what you have planned for me, but I trust you enough that whatever your plan is in my life, your will for my life, I trust you. I know you have my good intentions. Your will be done. And we submit to his authority and we submit to his kingdom and we allow his will to be manifested, if you will, in our own life. Jesus is pointing to us this aspect of submission. Man, this is probably one of the hardest things is humanity that we have against God is we we struggle with our will and being willing to submit it to an almighty, perfect, amazing, all-seeing, healing amazingly providing God, and we say, God, I don't know if I trust you enough with my own life. I need to hang on to a few of the strings just in case you screw up. This is what we say. Whether we, sub- whether we say it 
verbally like that or not, subconsciously in our actions, we say it like that. And here Jesus is teaching us, hey, do you actually love God's will for your life? Remember, the big picture is how we express our love to God. Do we actually love God's will for our life? Do we even spend time thanking him for the purpose he has for us? Or are we just sending up complaints about the circumstances we find ourselves in? The difficult circumstances, the hard circumstances. Do we go, Lord, I know you have a plan here. I know this, this is uncomfortable for me. It's kind of like discipline. Maybe that's part of it. Lord, I don't like your discipline. It doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. It makes me feel awkward. I don't know that I like this feeling I have inside right now. Recognizing that that discipline that the Father gives us is also for our good. And we go, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust your will and purpose. Okay, I know I need to deal with this. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to submit it to you. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's depression. I don't really know. Do we trust the will of God in our life? Do we say, God, I love your will more than anything else? You know far more than I do. I trust you. Jesus, as he continues, speaks of the will of God. May it be done. And he says this, on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is speaking of here in this last verse that we're going to cover today is really the realm of authority that God has. God has complete authority in heaven. He has complete authority on earth. And really as we're praying in these first few verses, we really see Jesus pointing us to how we can express our love to God through prayer. We approach him as a father. We recognize his holy name, his holy names, plural. He has many. We recognize what those names mean to us, that they are trustworthy, that they are reliable, that they are dependable, that we know this is in fact my God's character. We recognize that he is in fact the king of kings. He has a kingdom and we choose to be his servants in his kingdom. Do we operate as though he's actually ruling and reigning? This comes back to this last line. Do we let him have complete authority in our life? Do we let God have complete authority in our life? Or do we go to him and say, hey, Lord, I'm going to give you my Sunday. You've got Sunday. You've got full authority on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, listen, I'm taking back control. I I'm running the show on those days. You can have Sunday. These days are my days. Or, or do we go, Lord, I'll give you this part of my heart but I'm going to keep a few things for myself in my own heart. You don't get those things. I don't trust you with those things yet. Do we give him complete authority in our life? Jesus is saying this is how we are to approach the Father, God, in our prayers. How we express, if you will, our love to him. Do we love his authority? Do we actually love his authority in our life? Do we live and act as though we, he really has complete authority? Do we live and act like he is completely in control? He has complete authority. Do we give that to the Father? As I conclude, as I wrap this up, there are more, as we are going to see next week, on how we are to take this passage, this prayer, 
The first part about it is the very first part of the greatest commandment written in the Old Testament law. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus is walking through this important commandment, and he's teaching us through this model prayer how, in fact, we can express this love to God in this prayer. We recognize him as our Father. We recognize his holy name. We recognize that he is king of kings over his kingdom. We recognize that he has, in fact, a mighty and purposeful will for our life. We recognize that he has complete authority. And we submit to his authority. And we allow him to rule in our life. Here are just a few questions I want to confront you with and we'll be done. When it comes to our prayer life, do you actually love the attributes of God that are described in this model prayer? Are you loving the discipline of the Father, the fact that He cares for you, that He makes and, and He makes you or desires to make you in His likeness and His holiness? Do you the sanctification, if you will? Do you do you desire? Do you love the discipline of the Father in your life, or do you resist it? Do you love his holy name? Do, do you call on his name when you're in need, or is this the last person you go to? Do you call on his name every day, readily, when you need him, when you, when you don't need him, when you just want to talk to him? Is he the person that you call on? Do you love his powerful kingdom, or are you just battling between the two kingdoms in your life? Let me just tell you personally, there's a kingdom that when you submit to it, that is far better than the other. And that is the kingdom of God. Is this a battle you're struggling with? Do you love his majestic will? Or are you insisting on your own way? Are you trying to convince God? Or are you willing to submit and listen to what he has for you? Do you love the authority of God in your life do you see it as something you have to do you do you see it as something you have to resist or do you see it as something that man when it rules and reigns in your life it brings forth peace and righteousness what i see what we see in this passage in this model prayer just the first few verses is that when we are completely submitting ourselves to him we can and we should be expressing our love of God in our prayers. That when we submit to him, when we allow him to rule and reign in our life and we obey him and we follow his instructions for our life, we actually get to express in our prayers how, in fact, every day that we get the privilege of expressing to our Father how, in fact, we love him. This is an awesome passage. This is an awesome prayer. There's a lot of depth. I just skimmed the surface, I feel of what this prayer is modeling for us. And really, the, the, the confront, the, the, what we have to really be confronted with is examining our heart, examining our own life, and saying, Lord, do I, in fact, love you the way that you have taught me to love you? Do I elevate you to the status that you actually belong to? Or is this this constant fight where we're trying to take control, where we're trying to resist him? And we're trying to tell him how things are to be done. 
man, this is just a, an incredible passage that the Lord gives us to, to really look at. Let's be done. We'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as we covered this example prayer, Lord, we recognize first and foremost that you're our Father. Lord, that you love us, that you care for us, you care for me, you care for every individual in this room, anybody that's watching online. Lord, you care for us, you desire us. Lord, we, we love who you are in our life. Lord, help us to be willing to submit the areas in our life that we still want to hang on to. Those areas in our life that we just cling to so desperately. Lord, that you're trying to, to walk us through. And it's probably different for every single person. But Lord, I just pray as we study how to love you and how to worship you and how to adore you, Lord, that those areas in our life that we haven't submitted to you yet, Lord, that you would call those to our mind. Help us see it so that we can walk reflecting you and your character to the rest of the world. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.